1: The morning show. The home team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brain.
0: Crossover, step back!
1: Ah! Back Right here on 960theref.com. What's up, everybody? Sam Franco, Chris Brain, back at it again with another episode of The Crossover here on 960theref.com. Going to skip most of the pleasantries today because we have a jam-packed show to get to. We'll talk some NBA Finals and three pretty big stories in college football that have broken this week. Uh, So we'll jump into all that coming up. But first, NBA Finals, we are recording this on Thursday. So game number three was last night, and it was a brutal, brutal way to lose a game if you're the Cavs, especially with all of the effort they put into it. They had a lead late. They could not hold on to it, and it really seemed to me like that was their best shot and that Friday's game will end this series and that it will probably be a sweep.
0: Yeah, the NBA went from, in about a three-minute stretch, when J.R. Smith hit that three to put them up, 113-107, there mm-hmm. were three minutes and nine seconds left in the game. The NBA went from, we've got a series, the third one between these two teams, to now, I, I question whether or not Cleveland's even going to, uh, to get off the bus Friday night because I mean, what's the point? I mean, they could win the game. I mean, I guess they're probably spending uh, Thursday weighing the what's worse. Is there the shame in being swept in the series or showing up, maybe winning the game, and then having to fly to Oakland Monday night just to get blown out and then come back home anyway?
1: Right. And have you noticed, too, when things aren't going LeBron James' way in a playoff series or in the finals, he gets really, like, sassy. And, like, that's one thing we've seen him the past couple of days be with the media. He's getting kind of snippy, a little sassy, maybe a little short.
0: Yeah, well, and I've noticed, too, if you look back at his playoff history, he's had a few games where, you know, series haven't even been over that he has uh, – you know, the the sixth game against Orlando uh, several years ago, there was that, that one-year – I know they got eliminated twice by the Celtics in the playoffs in his first stint in Cleveland. I think it was right. the second stint. Remember when he took off his jersey, and it was, ba- it was basically like, I'm leaving anyway. Yeah. Um, and even the, the Dallas finals when he was in Miami, he didn't play well in either of those games in Dallas. And then they came back to Miami, still with a chance to win that series, and he didn't have a good closeout game. So he's had a few moments in his career when technically series haven't been over. But I guess in everyone's mind, it's kind it of felt is, over. Yeah, like this in this instance here where he's gone out and he's had some, he's laid some eggs in those types of situations. So I just, you know, again, like I said, it probably is going to come down to uh, do we want to get swept? But then again, even if they come out and they you know, they're they're giving it their all. There's still no guarantee they're going to win anyway. So Well,
1: they gave it their all last night and did not win. I mean, well, yeah. I'll say that Kyrie Irving and LeBron James gave it their all. And unfortunately, it wasn't enough for the Cavs. And it's interesting you bring up LeBron and kind of some of his performances because you remember that first playoff series or the first finals that he was with the Miami Heat and they lost to the Dallas Mavericks. Dirk Nowitzki completely outplayed him in the fourth quarters of those games. I mean, LeBron pretty much disappeared in those fourth quarters. And looking at the fourth quarter so far in this series, Kevin Durant has outscored LeBron James 31-11. to Yeah, I know. And, um,
0: you know, I know last night or he was – the questions about the one drive that he had uh, kicked it out to Kyle Korver oh. and just – yeah, I mean, in that situation, too, you're in the lead, so you don't need the uh, three. There was just – there was a lot of – uh there was a lot of shakiness obviously in that that final stretch of the game when Golden State was able to rattle off that 11 nothing run and win it. And I think I mean some of it has to do and I know they won the finals last year, but it's you know you it's little things where I mean Cleveland's got this great core. LeBron and and Kyrie Irving were two first round first number one overall picks. Mm-hmm. Kevin Love was traded for one, yeah. and himself was a fifth overall pick. I mean, so when you think about that core versus Golden State, Curry was the seventh pick, Thompson was an eleventh pick, and then Draymond Green was a second round pick. Now, yes, they've added uh, Kevin Durant this past uh, year in free and Durant agency. Durant was number two behind uh, behind uh, Odin. Yeah, yeah. And right ahead of right ahead of Al Horford. <laughs> but then the way that game unfolded last night, realize, I mean, Tyron Lue is not qualified to be an NBA head coach. No. And but he's not either. LeBron is the coach of that well, team. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, he's. I mean, I'm sure he is the one that's in charge. But still, even with LeBron, who is still only the player, there, are, there are moments late in games when I'm even a guy like LeBron's got to have somebody there where, telling him what to do, right? Where you're like, you know what, we need to foul right now. Yeah. And the way that game played out when Curry had it. Draymond Green got his hands on the ball. They needed to tackle that guy and send him to the line, and it was Duran who ended up getting fouled. He hit two free throws, and then you're down three.
1: And is there something with LeBron where – and this is when you kind of get into dangerous territory of trying to read into what someone is thinking, but it really does seem like LeBron more so than a Kobe, more so than a Jordan. And granted, Jordan did pass a few times in those big game moments. You know, Steve Kerr hit a big shot. Uh, John Paxson hit a big shot. Yeah, he didn't always take the last shot. But – It just seems like he was way more willing to do it, whereas it seems like LeBron is much more inclined to pass in that situation. Remember, the uh, big shot that um, Ray Allen hit when they beat the Spurs and the Miami Heat did, you know, that was LeBron passing to Ray Allen. What about last year in Game 7? You know, Kyrie Irving had a huge game and hit some of those big shots down the stretch. So it seems like there might be a little bit of a hesitancy on LeBron's part whether it's because he doesn't want to miss the last shot or maybe it's just him trying to be that facilitator. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but LeBron has – and maybe it's just that when LeBron passes off, the guys don't make it. And when Jordan did, the guys made it. And when Kobe did, the guys made it. Maybe yeah. it's just that. Honestly,
0: I think that's what it is because that's LeBron's game. He drives to the, uh, he drives in the paint, he draws attention, and then somebody's going to be left wide open – and when that person that's wide open doesn't hit that shot, then, well, LeBron should have taken the shot. And I do, in that situation last night at the end of the game, That's I think that probably is a fair
1: criticism. He should not have passed for a number of reasons. One, Kyle Korver was cold. He had just come off the bench. Two, he hadn't really had a great game. He made only two threes. I think he made a, a dunk as well. So he had only made three shots the whole game. And that spot-up shot... That's not Korver's game. Korver's game is coming off the screens and hitting them from up top. And, and that, it was just a bad situation where LeBron looked like he could have continued on to the basket and either made a layup or gotten fouled because, as you mentioned, they already had the lead.
0: Yeah, and that's that's why. Because at, at that point then when you're already in front, you take it, get fouled, maybe even make the shot. That's the play there. But when that's – you know again, that goes back to having a guy on the sideline that maybe is – putting that out there to LeBron here's Well, a guy the, that can actually coach
1: and knows what he's doing. exactly
0: here's the situation and right you know another one one that's not just a potted plant where everyone feels like well LeBron's the coach anyway because Magic had Pat Riley Jordan had Phil Jackson those were guys that those star players could respect to say like here LeBron I know this is what we do you you take it to the rack and then attention is drawn Youth feed the wide open guy. But here, but in this situation now, we're in the lead. That's not what we need. And, uh, yeah, but there was that. You know, Irving missed that. Irving missed another layup. And then he got that rebound. Yeah. And then, you know, even Love missed one. I know he was he thought he was probably hacked and fouled, but he missed one close late. And I think the, the Cavs just got tight. And, I mean, it choked at the end. Well, Irving took
1: a bad shot, too, with like 26 seconds left. He took like a 25-footer inside the arc. Yeah. And uh it's just it was just a bad shot to take and it almost like he was trying to recreate that game 7 moment when he, you know, from last year when he hit the shot. So they just it, you totally are onto something here. The Warriors just seem way more prepared and way more loose, intense situations than the Cavs do, and a lot of that probably has to do with who's in the huddle during timeouts telling them what to do. And Steve Kerr has proven to be a very good head coach and getting him back not to slight Mike Brown, but Mike Brown is not Steve Kerr.
0: No and I've even you know I've brought this up too in the uh, in the Brady and, and Peyton Manning debate. And by the way, I mean I I side mostly with Brady, but Brady's been attached to Bill Belichick, who's yes. an all-time great coach. Peyton Manning's coaches
1: have been uh, John Fox. Uh, Tony Dungy. Who was kind of a choker. Tony Dungy did get the Super Bowl with the Colts, with Peyton Manning eventually. But remember all those times in Tampa when they got close. They got to NFC title games and couldn't get over the right. hump. And then the first year that Dungy's out in Tampa and John Gruden comes in, he takes them to the
0: Super Bowl. Right. And then uh, who replaced uh, Dungy? Then Jim Caldwell was right. there. Who Manning, um, I guess, well, they got to a... Super Bowl, but they, they got to the Super Bowl. To the and lost with Caldwell, yeah. and then uh, you know, then I mentioned John Fox, and then he ended up with Gary Kubiak. Similarly, with LeBron, you want to compare him to all these greats, and while well, he's not winning the titles that Jordan did, again, right. Jordan had Phil Jackson, he did uh, Magic, great coach, not a great uh, general, a manager. terrible, yeah. <laughs> Magic had Pat Riley, Bird had Casey Jones. Uh, LeBron has been with, uh, let's see, there was Mike Brown, right? Yeah, you had Mike
1: Brown. Tyron Lue. Now, did uh, was it uh, Paul Silas was his coach when he first came into the league? I think. I think so. Yeah. And
0: I, when they went to the finals that first time, was it Brown or Silas that was their that coach? Was Silas. And then, um, uh, the guy, the then the Heat coach, who oh, Paul Spolstra, Eric Spolstra. Thank you. And then um, I'm forgetting the guy that uh, the Cavs had before they who they fired and then, um, and then replaced with Tyron Lue. But, uh, you know, because I went to that first finals with them, then had the best record in the East the next year. And uh, By the way, I think Canada. Mike
1: Brown was actually the coach of uh, the, uh, the Cavs when they got into the finals.
0: Right. So, I mean, again, that's uh, there's a similar – he certainly hasn't had the same level of coaching. And I think, you know, you watch the end of that game and you bring up Kyle Korver and that's – you know, it's another it's – it's a minor detail, I get it. But Kyle Korver is one of the great three-point shooters in the history of the game. Of course. And for that last possession, they took him out. He wasn't even on the court. But they were still down 116, 113. I mean, I get it. LeBron's probably the guy that's going to shoot there but you got to at least have Korver on the court. The guy's one of the great three-point shooters of all time. He's fifth on the all-time list of three-point field goals made.
1: And you got to give Andrea Guadala a lot of credit for the defense he played there. Right. So, I But, mean, you know,
0: there's no, like – I mean, there's no even, like, fear that anyone other than LeBron at that point is going to shoot it because, again, Co- right. Korver's not even on the court. And it's like – that's just like a little thing where you think about Lou just being
1: completely well, overmatched Make them not... think about something. Well, sure. And that's the thing. Like, Why having... else is
0: Korver even on the team?
1: Right. Having Korver on the court might make the defense <laughs> yeah. have to shifter around a little bit. No, I totally agree yeah. with what you're saying I mean, there. there's
0: no point in having Corver on the team if he's not going to be in the game in a situation where you're down by three.
1: <laughs> right. And you mentioned the uh, the kind of Brady versus Manning comparison. LeBron versus Jordan is turning into that. that it, the parallels in those comparisons are very much out there because you look at what LeBron has done and, it's, and, and when people talk about him, it's mostly statistics driven because his record in the finals isn't great just like Peyton Manning's overall playoff record isn't that great. You look at what Brady did, and Brady statistically might not have the same numbers as Peyton Manning, although when you gave him Randy Moss, (laughs) look at what happened. So Brady much more like Jordan in the sense that he gets there, and, and even Brady has lost two Super Bowls to the Giants, but when Brady gets there, more times than not, he wins. When Jordan got to the finals, he never lost. Right. So that comparison is sort of becoming that. And it really is that what do you value more? Because LeBron statistically is probably and will probably end up being the best basketball player to ever play the game. But he's always going to be behind Jordan in that rings push. And quite frankly, I don't know if LeBron's getting another ring because it looks like Kevin Durant is willing, you know, reportedly to take less money to keep this Golden State core intact. And if that's the case, and you've got Curry, Thompson, and Durant, and I'm not sure, you throw Draymond in there as well, if he stays, if all four of those guys stick around for a while, Cleveland ain't getting past them with their current roster construction. They're going to have to do something else. Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to be tough, and he is
0: 32 now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's still – I mean, he's got limited years left to get another one, but, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you, short of – Adam Silver mandating that Russell Westbrook has to go play for Cleveland next right. year in the playoffs. <laughs> he can play for Oklahoma City, and then when they're eliminated, he goes to the Cavs <laughs> for the rest of it. But, Come on, yeah.
1: he's not David Stern.
0: Okay? But it's going to be it's, – yeah, it's going to be – it is going to be tough, but – That one piece in Durant definitely puts him over the top. But I'll point out, I mean, the the whole LeBron and Jordan debate, which basically comes down to Jordan won all those rings and never lost, and LeBron has lost in the finals, is a reason why
1: Kevin Durant should not be criticized for doing what he did. No, because you're ultimately measured by how many rings you get. Right. And so if Kevin Durant wants to have that great legacy, he did exactly what he needed
0: to do. Absolutely. If it's all about titles, and even for Golden State – Golden State won 73 games last year, and then some people want to pretend that didn't matter because they didn't win the whole thing. So Golden State went, okay, then we'll go and get Kevin Durant and create the super
1: team and we'll win the NBA title then, but not win 73 games. Well, that's the thing. Everybody that criticized Kevin Durant would have done the exact same thing if they were given the opportunity. Like, for example, I love working here, but if ESPN Radio called me tomorrow and said, hey, we want you to replace Mike Greenberg on, on Mike and Mike in the morning, by Athens. I'm going up there because, A, it's going to be more money. B, it's going to be a easier job to do because they have, like, produ- like four producers and, like, stat people looking up stuff for you. So that's the thing. If, if your job is made easier somewhere else and they're going to pay you more and you're going to get more acclaim from it, yeah. well, then, of course, you'd go do it. So anybody criticizing him was laughable. Well, you need to change your name to Mike Gullett Jr. if you want that job. Well, oh, that's another thing, too. Yes, the uh, – the um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Nepotism. Nepotism, The nepotism yeah. is strong – at ESPN, but when we're back here next week doing this podcast, there's no Game 5, right? Do you think the series ends on Friday? Uh, I I don't think Cleveland's going to show
0: up Friday, because I think it's going to come down to when we could win the game and not get swept, but do we really want to
1: then fly to Oakland to play Monday night? Exactly. No, I feel the exact same way. So next week on the podcast, I kind of want to talk about, in terms of the NBA, is there a problem? Because I mentioned that Kevin Durant might want to stick around and, and Golden State might keep this team together, so is there a problem going forward with kind of the competitive balance of the league? So we'll hit that next week. But right now on a transition to college football, where three big stories have happened this week, and we're going to start with the one over in Oxford, Mississippi, Ole Miss standing firmly behind Hugh Freeze and throwing this Barney Farrar under the bus. And I want to start with the whole Barney Farrar thing is kind of weird because he was an assistant athletic director for high school relations, a position that I don't think exists anywhere else in the country. You can be on a football staff and be in like a, an auxiliary position or whatever as a high school coordinator or high school relations guy. But being that high up as an assistant AD for that it seems pretty slimy to me. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. I mean, and then th- making him the scapegoat is slimy too because there's an AD there then who's. Uh, Has no idea what's going on around him, or there's the you know we're supposed to believe that the head coach is oblivious to to all these things that are happening. Well, as
1: an assistant AD, wouldn't that mean he's higher up than Hugh Freeze? I mean, in most that's what I'm saying. In technicality, it should mean that. And for them to throw him under the bus, and for Hugh Freeze to even come out and say, "Well, yeah, I went and talked to him and said don't do this anymore," and he still went and did it. That's like a security officer at a bank going up to bank robbers and saying, hey, y'all need to stop, and then just walking away and right. expecting them to stop. That's, that's stupid. That's, so for Hugh Freeze to be above reproach here is laughable. And quite frankly, for Ole Miss to be sticking behind him like this, either they know something or they're just going to fall on the sword here because the NCAA is out for blood here. You can tell. Well, they're going to get hammered.
0: Yeah. but And I think that's – the and what Ole Miss is thinking here is that – what other option do they have? They could they could get rid
1: of Freeze, and they won't be able to hire. I mean, they're not going to hire another decent coach. Well, but does it make them look more guilty by keeping it? You know what I mean? Like, you would think that if they want to at least try and have the NCAA show some mercy to them, that they would have fired him and anybody that would have taken the job. I mean, I, I was saying this the other day when I was, I was doing the morning show with our man Adam Wynn. I was like, look, I mean, I'd go there and, and take – you know, some money to go sit there and get fired after a couple years and just sit there, and I'm sure there are a lot of people that would, not any notable, recognizable name head coaches, but is it better to stick with what you've got and be as defiant as Ole Miss is being right now and cause the NCAA to get more mad, or should they have just gotten rid of him and tried to build from there? Yeah, I mean, I don't know which is – I
0: I don't know what's better. I mean, but I guess in – but I think the reality is is that they'd have to just basically hire some – Coach, of, they're not going to get a, a top flight assistant. What
1: about John L. Smith? He's around. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean
0: that's the type of coach that they would have to get, or like Jim Grobe. Like right, Baylor right, went right. out and hired Jim Grobe. Right. That's the only kind of person they'd get to uh, to hold that job. And I think so in Ole Miss mind, what they have right now is a coach that has signed two top ten classes and has beaten Alabama two times. And so they're thinking, yeah, we'll just go ahead and stick by him and try and weather the storm or probation and come out of it and see what happens as opposed to just starting over with you know, or holding down the fort with yeah. some retread coach somewhere with
1: John Ellis. Yeah,
0: or I mean, they could get if Houston <laughs> Nutt wasn't mad and suing them. Apparently, they could get him back. Well, I think the,
1: one of the problems was some of these violations are being charged with go back to the Houston Nutt era. So right, but not. I think
0: that's why he's suing because oh, okay. he's like saying, "Well, no, yeah. Yeah. yeah, now you're trying to like basically scapegoat me, and right. this is really about the current guy." But I mean, I listen, I the 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 first. However, many years was it 2012 or 13? The minute the minute Ole Miss signed that class and they had Larry Me flip a commitment from Georgia and sign there, oh, it's smoke like, started
1: to, to there's come no out
0: there cheating. Yeah. This yeah. guy, this guy, Hugh Freeze, was a high school football coach and had been a coach at Arkansas State for one year. Before that, he had coached at some place called Lambeth. <laughs> and I'm supposed to believe that two years into his tenure at Ole Miss, he's like the best recruiter in the country. This guy's yeah. getting he's getting he's doing things recruiting at Oxford Mississippi that had never been done before.
1: The best part is he's like I didn't know what Barney Ferrar was doing. It's right. just a complete
0: load of crap.
1: Yeah, this is a, <laughs> a school that
0: hadn't won an SEC title since
1: the late 60s uh
0: has a plantation owner for a mascot and I'm supposed to believe all of a sudden that they're you know they're 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 luring the the best Athletes in the country to come. Oh yeah, come here and play for us. He I was a high school football coach
1: like less than a decade before that. You know what this is? This is the revenge of the Sith for spurning Admiral Akbar. Uh, yeah, right. And going <laughs> with what the Rebel they Black went Bear, the Black Bear, right? Right. Because then
0: even like <laughs> last year, that Rashad Gary who ended up signing with Michigan. I remember seeing him. He like released his top three right at the end of. Right before signing day, and Ole Miss was in there. Right. and Okay, they didn't get him, but seriously, here's a kid from New Jersey who's considered the number one overall recruit in the country who ultimately signs with Michigan, but considers Ole Miss to be in his top three. That makes no sense. All
1: I got to say about Ole Miss is why have a colonel when you can have an admiral? I'm just saying. I know. George um,
0: Lucas probably would have sued him. but Well, no, you know, Disney, would been...
1: it, Disney did end up writing a letter like out that was like, sorry, but Admiral Ackbar is busy fighting the, okay. the Imperials in a galaxy far, far away. See, they should have just done it, way. though, and asked for forgiveness afterward. Yeah, that was one of ESPN's Better Done Things, that commercial they did for the uh, the, the trying to get Admiral Ackbar. But Ole Miss is uh, definitely fighting it here, and uh, good luck to them, although I don't really care. I'm not wishing them actual good luck. But it seems like this is going to be a program that, like you said, gets hammered. It just depends on how quickly the NCAA wants to act.
0: I mean, USC had got a two-year bowl ban, a bunch of scholarships reduced back in 2010, and that's USC. Honestly, I didn't think the NCAA would hammer USC. No, and I mean, but... if they
1: get, if Ole Miss gets this, they, like, for example, if they extend the bowl ban another year, then they would do that thing where players can transfer scot-free, you know, and all that stuff. It's like, that would destroy Ole Miss. So that is probably what we're looking at, but we'll see what the NCAA does. And more power to Ole Miss for trying to fight the man, but (laughs) it doesn't look like it's going to work out for them. Another big college football story. We'll stick with the SEC. We'll save the uh, Oklahoma one for last. Malik Zaire transferring to Florida. uh, The SEC spring meetings went down, and they had to kind of change a little bit of how the graduate transfer policy works for it to happen, but they did. And so Malik Zaire now headed to Florida. My two thoughts on this situation are: this doesn't make Florida any more of an SEC East title contender than they were before it happened to me, and B, it might make it less so because what it's telling me is that Felipe Franks, Kyle Trask, and Luke Dorio was never in the discussion. I don't think, but still, the quarterbacks that they have, none of them are pleasing enough to to uh, Jim McQuain's eye to not go out or to to yeah to not go out and go get Zaire. So, if anything. This, A, doesn't help Florida that much, in my opinion, and, B, tells you that Florida's quarterback situation might be worse off than than they would like.
0: Yeah, but the scary thing is another story from this week is Justin Fields, who decommitted from Penn State, now appears to be leaning Florida, that they might put a Band-Aid over that problem this year with Zaire and then end up landing Fields, who would be the biggest recruit they've had at quarterback since Tim Tebow. But, yeah, with Zaire – I I kind of, I I sort of leaned anyway that Florida should be the favorite in the SEC East this year. I like now that it is going to draw that spotlight away from Georgia a little bit and Mm -hmm. shine it on uh, on Gainesville. So I like that from Georgia's standpoint. But yeah, for Florida, I mean, it maybe if you want to say maybe it makes them a little bit more of a favorite to win the SEC East okay, but it doesn't make them any more of a favorite or put them any closer to winning the overall SEC title. Well,
1: no, and I saw somewhere where they were like, he makes them a touchdown better a game. I'm like, based on what? He never was the full starter for Notre Dame. He couldn't beat Deshaun Kaiser out for the job, and he he doesn't have that much playing experience. If you go and look at his game logs, he hadn't played a whole lot. No, because he got hurt. He
0: had that great game against Texas, uh, I guess, with two two years, two ago, years ago because he,
1: Texas beat them last yeah, year. Yeah. Then started.
0: he got hurt against in their second game against Virginia. Yeah. And then Kaiser ended up taking over there. So, uh, yeah, I think this is uh, you know being. I I, I would I guess he's he's better than any quarterback they've got on their roster this year. I mean i I'd, I'd prefer to if I was a Florida fan I'd prefer to see him starting than Luke Del Rio or anyone that I saw last season. I guess I'd be a little discouraged that Felipe Franks isn't, isn't uh, ready to go yeah isn't further ahead yeah. now since he's been in the program for a uh for a year but um you know as a Georgia fan this doesn't really impact how I feel about the season like I said I kind of uh, I sort of feel like Florida was playing a snake in the grass role with all the attention Georgia's mm-hmm. Georgia should win the east Chubb Michelle are back the the defense is really good but um so you know, this at least will will, will de- de- Reflect a little bit of that attention now away from the uh, away from the dogs, but it it maybe it puts Florida closer to actually scoring an off uh, offensive touchdown against Florida State this season. But they ain't going to beat them. They're not going to beat Alabama if they get back to the SEC championship game. So no.
1: Last but not least on this edition of the crossover here on 960 The Ref dot Sam Franco, Chris Bram, along with you. A little bit of a head scratcher here as the news just kind of came out of nowhere. Bob Stoops retiring as Oklahoma's head coach, offensive coordinator Lincoln Riley, who has spent the last two seasons as Oklahoma's offensive coordinator, will take the reins. And this one is strange just because, A, it happened in June, so that's weird timing, and B, it's just, like I said, it came out of nowhere. And Bob Stoops is a guy who, legacy-wise, since the year 2000 when they won the national championship, he's done well in terms of winning big 12 titles and things like that. But when you talk about big game, Bob, I think more often than not, he lost those big games. And when I say big games, I mean the ones that could really put you at that next level or the stepping stone type games and, he got blown out in some national titles. Uh, I know that he lost uh, really badly to USC one year. I believe he lost to LSU one year as well. Yeah. And then when they got to the playoff, they lost to Clemson when that was a whole thing. So the games that he did win, for example, that Sugar Bowl with Trevor Knight over Alabama, it was kind of a meaningless game. Last year's Sugar Bowl against Auburn. what was the, the? There wasn't a whole lot riding on it. So when the pressure was off, he seemed to be okay. But in those big spotlight pressure games – he didn't do great. No, they lost at home last year to Ohio State. You can and throw Houston. that on there too. But
0: yeah, that's the thing. The the big game Bob Moniker did kind of become where big game Bob was big game Bob when he wasn't expected to win. When they won the Big Twelve title two years ago, they went to Baylor and won. They weren't favored to do that. And there but there was one. But then, you know, they when they turned around and then all of a sudden, all right, now we now we believe in Oklahoma. Yeah, you're right. That's when uh he wasn't uh he wasn't winning enough of those and uh, but he did have that national title, and they won ten Big Twelve championships mm-hmm. in his uh, eighteen years there, and no other school won more than two. So it was just a complete domination on that front by uh, Oklahoma. And I, you know, I don't the you know conspiracy theorists out there want to think, well, is there some. Festering scandal. Is there something going on? Um, you know, you hate, you hope that it really isn't health related. I mean, although he said that it uh, that it wasn't, but well, it was
1: something to do. I did read where uh, a source had said that you know his dad died during a game coaching on the sidelines as a high school coach in Ohio in his fifties, right? Yeah. So maybe Bob Stoops always had that lingering in the back of his head, and that's one thing. And another thing is he does leave the program in a pretty good spot. You know, they're a top five preseason team this year. And Lincoln Riley was that next big thing type name. And at 33 years old, he's now the youngest head coach in the FBS. But he was kind of that that next big thing, next guy on the list. And I'm sure a lot of schools were probably interested. So for Oklahoma to go ahead and do this now and lock him up, a guy that they wanted to be the head coach after Bob Stoops, it makes sense.
0: Right. And, you know, Riley has a similar background to what Stoops had when Oklahoma first hired him. In in 1995, Stoops was a defensive coordinator at Kansas State, uh, got hired by Steve Spurrier at Florida, and by 1999 was the head coach at Oklahoma. Yeah, he had so. never been a head coach anywhere.
1: So, right. Yeah.
0: So you look now at Lincoln Riley. He was two, I guess, three years ago now. He was the offensive coordinator at East Carolina. Stoops hires him the last two seasons. He's the OC in Norman, and now he's the head coach there. So it's similar. I guess Stoops was 38 when he took over at Oklahoma. This guy's 33. But, um, I mean, still, it's a, it's a pretty big leap of faith for a program like Oklahoma to just hand it over to a 33-year-old upstart like that. And tradition usually suggests that, Programs just don't move from one legendary coach to a, another. I know yesterday, if I was a Texas fan, would have been a very, very very good day. Yeah. Bob Stoops is retiring, and you've got Tom Herman now.
1: Oh, exactly. And uh, that t- first Tom Herman versus Lincoln Riley matchup in the uh, Red River shootout, yes, I called it that, and I will continue to call it that, is going to be uh, very interesting. Is it fair to call Bob Stoops a more successful Mark Rick? Just a slightly more, because he yeah, does no. have the, he has the national title, but it's very similar in a sense that after the national title and after Rick won some SEC titles, it got close, but didn't ever, like I said, those, those stepping stone games, those, those games that took you to the next level, Bob Stoops never really won them and coach rick quite frankly, outside of the earlier part of his career, didn't win them here in Athens. No,
0: there were definitely
1: some similarities there. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, that
0: could be something that that factored into his decision to uh, to walk away. You know, similar to, to frustrations that Spurrier felt in Gainesville. It's like you're doing all this winning, but if you don't win the national championship, you know, here you hear these disgruntled fans and some grumbling behind the scenes. And I don't know, maybe Stoops was somewhat aware of that and just, all of a sudden got frustrated. I would suspect with the timing of it, it I, you know, it, it probably has right now. I mean, it would have, probably feels like what he said is accurate. He was mm-hmm. spending some time in the summer with his family and just has decided that, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. And this guy's the coach in waiting and I'll leave him with a pretty good situation.
1: And I've seen some reaction from like the media to where it's like Bob Stoops chooses to go out on top. And I think even Steve Spurrier said something along those lines. And I'm like, I don't necessarily know if this is on top because, granted, he's been successful. They've won the Big 12, all that good stuff. They won the Sugar Bowl this past season. But, again, he he hasn't had that kind of marquee, stepping stone win in recent years. And he's got the Joe Mixon thing kind of hanging over him, too. So I wouldn't necessarily say this is going out on top. It's going out maybe on his own terms.
0: Well, sure. But that might, I mean, that speaks to maybe if coaches are aware of that thought that may, you know, why that maybe there's a frustration that builds and they want to go. Cause I mean, he does, he has back-to-back 11 and two seasons. They were in the orange bowl and sugar bowls. They won the big 12 championship, but you know, it comes to that ultimate where boy, we didn't win the whole thing. And that just in this day and age isn't necessarily good enough. I know if it was me personally, I could ignore all that if somebody was paying me like $4 million a year and I was winning right. Big 12 titles and all that and they didn't want to fire me and I could stick around for as long as I uh, for as long as long I wanted. But, you know, who knows? Maybe there was just something to his age. His dad, dad passed away early and he's just burned out on it now.
1: That'll wrap things up for this edition of The Crossover. Sam Franco, Chris Brain, thank you so much for listening. You can catch us every week right here on 960theref.com. Be sure to check out the morning show with myself and David Johnston, weekdays 6-10, to the home team with uh, Brame and Jeff Dantzler, weekdays 4-7, to uh, Dog Nation Daily, noon to 1 as well. So we've got you covered. We are also your official home for the Braves here in Athens. So uh, we've got you covered all the way around. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to The Crossover. We'll be back next week with another episode right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to the Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brain on 960theref.com. Before Shopify, were you wondering where are my sales at?